And I just love being around friends and people that accept, you know, my wife accepts me for the person I am, the man I am, you know, oh, like even when I'm wearing like, you know, tights and a wig, like I love dress ups, like I love just like rocking like the most outrageous outfits, um, you know, and yeah, she just allows me to be me and all my friends allow me to be me and it's just, it's just amazing. Um, but what a journey from uh, shame through depression to coming back to myself. And it sounds like you've had a very similar, uh, very similar and very different. That's belief change specialist Jacob Casella. And you're listening to The Beginning of Us. feel like something is rapidly transfiguring in my core being, an awakening of sorts. The Beginning of Us. A raw conversation hosted by your main frother, Billy Otto. Pulling apart what it means to rebirth, to rewild, to be curious, and to rechild. Oi, gente, tudo bom? Oi, gente, de onde você é? Que legal, Deus abençoe. Hello, worldwide family of mine. Billy here, your host, your main half Malaysian frother. I'm so excited to be back in this conversation, this divine moment interaction with you again. I apologize. I've been on the road. I've been between shows with my boys, Teoski and Kyle Leinhart, playing incredible shows, playing with my band in Sydney, running around, pushing my new single, Let Me Loose. And let me tell you, it's been a loose time, loose in a good way, loose in my hips, loose <laughs> um, in my stride, lots of waves, lots of creating, lots of exploring and expressing just feeling so free on stage and so in my flow. And I just want to thank you all for being a part of my Let Me Loose campaign. If you've streamed it, if you've shared it with a friend, if you've danced to it, if you've bought a t-shirt, if you've uh, just slammed it in your car as you've driven down the Pacific Highway, I thank you. I I couldn't make music without your help. So uh, yeah, it's so good to be um, playing shows again because of COVID. Um, my boys and I haven't played shows for like seven months. So it's been really special. I now live in South Golden in Byron Bay and I've changed houses and lifestyle and I'm really in love. And um, it's just been a really good time to, to really manifest. And I just want to tell you that the season's not over, that there's a bunch more episodes to go. We're going to finish at 20. And without further ado... I've got a special guest and we're going to be talking about attachment theory. Lots of love, fam. The beginning of us. Here we are, fam, with the Italian stallion, the loving husband. He's got great hair, wears cool jackets, the ACT practitioner, the ethereal wordsmith. They call him the mindful coach, Jacob Casella. The transformational coach. I'm so wanted to have you on the show, bro. Thank you for being in this presence. Brother, thank you so much for having me on. This is awesome. <laughs> I really want to take this moment to um, just check in with you. And if you can, even with our listeners, just lead us into a quick meditation. Let's do it. Yeah, Two minutes. Without a doubt. Um, so quick one. I'm going to get you to cross your ankles over. Yeah. And you're going to cross your wrists like this. 
Cool. Closing your eyes. And just bringing your attention to the breath flowing in and out of your nostrils. There's no need to force or control your breath. I'm just watching your normal, natural breath as it flows in, as it flows out. And just noticing the sounds you can hear. And noticing your breath at the same time. Noticing your body and your breath and the sounds you can hear all at the same time. And every time your mind distracts you, because that's what human minds do, just bring your attention back to your nostrils. That's the mental push-up right there. Just bringing it back. When you're ready, you can begin to wriggle your toes and wriggle your fingers. Just taking some more natural breaths. Making some gentle movements in your shoulder, your neck, your head. When you're ready, gently fluttering your eyes open, coming back into this space and time. Stillness. Spaciousness mm. here now, brother. Mm. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Receive it. How's your heart, man? What's been going on, mate? Life is so amazing right now. My heart is so bright. Um, being up in this Northern Rivers um, space for the last six months, and um, you know, sometimes it was—it's a big change. I, I was—I've been in Sydney for twenty years, more than twenty years, and. Um, Coming up here was a risk. Um, you know, who knows what it was going to be like. And um, to come up here and, oh, like absolutely beyond my wildest imagination, um, how beautiful it's been, how many amazing people I've met. Um, yeah, my heart's so full. I'm so stoked right now. <laughs> yeah, man. And... I've been working with your wife now for a couple mm. of months and some new tunes and yeah. it was incredible, man, just to, to work with her. I call Citadel, AKA Larissa, um, the, the Bjork of Byron. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she's like, she's a magical woman, man. And she's taught me so much and we've talked so much about you, <laughs> which got me amped for this bro chat. But um, you guys just seem to be such a dynamic couple. And I actually met you for the first time at your house at a breathwork 
gathering and man, that was transcendental. Yeah, breathwork, hey, absolutely next level stuff. Really, really powerful. And I think when we talk breathwork, people often think like, do you just mean like breathing? Like what is breathwork? And um, really like the breathwork that we practiced that, that day is um, really, really next level stuff, isn't it? It's, um, it's a lot more than just your gentle breathing. Yeah, it's really cosmic. I just I was floating and there was like this electric current just going through my body. Mm. I left that space, man, with so much joy. I was like alone. I'm like, I need to get food. I went and got like a vegan sausage roll from the little bakery at Byron. I was like, this is the best vegan sausage roll I've ever had. So good. <laughs> been smiling at people. Someone honked at me. I'm like smiling at them. I was yeah. just amped, just rushing chemically, spiritually, man. So good. That, that was the um. That was the night. Was that the night that I was dancing with my inner child in the living yes, room? It yes, was. yes. That was your intention, man. That was profound. Absolutely profound. Yeah, I had this experience with my inner child, and we were dancing in my house in the living room. There was no one else there, and we were having so much amazing fun. And then my my wise old man was sitting over on the couch, just like tapping his tapping his foot with his walking stick, and it was just oh. <laughs> Such an experience. I'm not, I'm not a very visual guy. Yeah. So to have that kind of experience um, with no drugs, you know, just with breath, yeah. the drug of the breath um, yeah. to take well, us to that place. Yeah, super powerful. I want to yeah. ask, Jakey, um, how, how has meditation changed your life? Mate, meditation has, <laughs> I guess, you know, when I think back, um, I began meditating when I was at university. And um, it was a time in my life that I was experiencing depression. Um, I'd just broken up with a long time, uh, a long term partner, mm-hmm. and I was um, experiencing lots of thoughts and feelings, um, memories um, that I didn't want to experience. I couldn't stop thinking about her. Even though I was over her on a level, I just couldn't stop like thoughts of her. I just had intrusive thoughts is actually what was going on um, at that time. And I just wanted some way to manage my mind because I just wasn't coping. Um, Mm. And like life does, um, I was at uni and I was studying um, different approaches to counseling and coaching. And I came across this thing called ACT. um, And ACT is acceptance and commitment therapy. It's actually mindfulness-based cognitive therapy. Um, and when I came across that, I was like, what is this? And I've heard about this mindfulness stuff. And um, anyway, I just dived straight in. I went into training courses. I got all the recordings and I just started practicing meditation in my, in my early 20s. And mm. it allowed me to take back control of my mind. Um, mm. And so, yeah, um, I was so thankful for it as a tool back then. Um, to allow me to, yeah, to take back control. And um, slowly over the next course of the next couple of months, um, these thoughts, these obtrusive thoughts um, just slowed down and slowed down. And in their own course, they began to move and dissipate. Um, Yeah. And it was a different approach because I was trying to force them and make them go away. 
And something I learned in this style of therapy is that the more that you try and push something out of your mind, the more you either like push it down, suppress it, or you try to distract yourself or use other techniques to make it go away, it actually comes back more ferociously um, with more speed and velocity. And I noticed the embodiment of that because that's what was happening to me. Yeah. And so um, with that thought in mind, um, I think the image to me is of like a porous rock and the water of the ocean just moving through that mm. rock. And and I think that coming into that kind of realm of thought is like, man, fuck, like there's these traumatic images coming into my mind. And I think initially my thoughts towards this kind of wrestle is like, yeah, just got to try to be positive, mm. you know, just try to like distract myself, play mm-hmm. Sony, PlayStation, you know, be with the boys, just go yep. surfing. Mm. But instead of just observing it, knowing that that isn't you, yeah. but it's traffic and it's coming in, it's okay. Yeah. Without judgment, let it pass through. And yeah. is that more the mode that you? That's you've, it. Man. Yeah, that's it. And let it dissipate on its own. And I, I hated that because I wanted control. You know, mm. um, but I allowed it to dissipate on its yeah. own because it had to run its own course. Yeah, and it was about learning to hold space for myself through meditation, specifically mindfulness meditation, um, which allowed me to give my thoughts and feelings some space to move on and yeah, mm. allowed me to come back to myself. So I've been a, I've been a daily meditator ever since um, and I've taught so many people to meditate from kids. I you know, went in schools and taught kids to meditate, to adults. I love the people who tell me that they can't meditate. They're my favorite (laughs) because I believe everyone can meditate and it's philosophy is the only thing that stops people from being able to to meditate because they have a belief um, about what it is and it's a false belief. So when they understand the philosophy, I believe it's possible for everyone. Yeah. Uh, What are the main reasons that you hear? Like, Nah, man, it's not for me. I can't do it. I can never do yeah, it. Yeah. And the, ma- the main thing is because people think they, um, when they try, they get distracted by their thoughts and feelings. Mm. And, um, you know, in our meditation before, I, I referenced the mental push-up. You mm. know? And um, the mental push-up is about it being normal and natural for, our, for us to be distracted by our thoughts and feelings. That's what human minds do. Mm. Yeah. But every time you bring your attention back into focus, you're doing a mental push-up. Um, so the idea is like when you go to the gym and you just stand there, you don't do any, any reps, you're not getting any stronger. Um, and the idea is like when you're meditating and you're all Zen and you're like super peaceful, that's beautiful. Enjoy that. Mm. But you're not strengthening any neural pathways on that day. Mm. You're you're strengthening the neural pathways on the day that you get distracted 50,000 times because you're stressed or because you've Mm. had too much caffeine or you've got something on your mind. Um, they're the days that you really have the opportunity to strengthen those neural pathways by doing more mental push-ups. Mm. Bring your attention back into focus. Yeah. Mental push-ups, man, mm. taking notes. Yeah, because I think there's a lot of self-judgment that comes when you're like, oh, man, I thought of things like 50 times in that five-minute yeah. meditation. Yeah. I'm like, awesome, brother. That's, yeah. that, that's good. You're observing that. Yes. And every time you're bringing yourself back to that centered presence, yeah, there's something that's happening. What's happening when you're becoming aware that you are being distracted? Mm. Yeah, I guess it's that um, it's that observing self that you're yeah. cultivating. Mm. It's being able to watch that you've been distracted and bring yourself back into focus. 
what I always say to people that I'm teaching to meditate is that the only difference between you and the Zen meditator sitting on the, uh, the hilltops of the Himalayas, mm. the only difference between you guys is they know that they're going to get distracted. They expect it. They bring their attention back into focus with compassion mm. and they, they bring their self back into focus a little quicker. Mm. That's it. Mm. I can honestly say, man, since practicing in the last like year and a half on the regular, that I'm actually now in a space where I I so much enjoy meditation. Mm, me too. I feel like, I don't know if it was the same for you, but firstly coming to meditation from a very busy life, growing up in the suburbs, mm. did the uni thing, played footy, did everything, whatever, trying to meditate, which didn't involve action, which didn't really involve an outcome. Mm. <laughs> and sitting with myself and with my thoughts and it was really hard. It fully felt like going to the gym for the first time and it was kind of painful and there was a lot of judgment. But now I feel like tapping in, that there's actually nothing more than I, that I enjoy, even more than spending time with my girl. Like wake up at 5.30 in the morning and I'll go out with my blanket and my undies and just sit on the floor. No one's awake. Dog isn't awake. And there's some mantra involved and there's some breath work involved, but mm. like 40 minutes goes by and it's just bliss. And it's, it's so relaxing and there's mm. a sensation that I feel in my third eye. My body is just sitting with presence. Mm. And um, I don't know how I would do my creative life without it now mm. and how grounding it is. Yeah, I don't know how I'd survive without it now either. Yeah, 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 like yeah, yeah. it doesn't Take matter it if I'm traveling. Like yeah. it doesn't matter if I'm at a music festival. Like I take mm. that time every day and um, I, I I take a lot short. I only take about 10 to 15 minutes, but I take that time every day regardless of where I am because mm. it's now become just like brushing my teeth. Mm. It's just something that I do to keep my mind healthy and clean mm. um, every day. Love it, man. I want to dive into... Um, some of what you're doing with with mindfulness coaching and and just from what I've seen from your Instagramming is that you have a very holistic um, modality when it comes to to coaching. Mm. Um, you think about the whole person, mind, body, spirit, and um, it, and it seems like you carry a lot of purpose in what you do. Like it's almost like you're in your zone. Like you're you're doing. Uh, what you were destined to do, called to do by the universe. And yeah, man, tell us about what that looks like in your practice, being mm. a mindful coach. Mm. It's funny, the the name The Mindful Coach is something that I created um, when I was really into um, acceptance and commitment therapy and, and using mindfulness as a form of therapy. And, and I still use, you know, everyone that works with me, um, I teach meditation. It is a part of every single coaching program and um, every client that works with me becomes a daily meditator. It's just, you know, a, a, it's a part of the, the frameworks essentially of the work I do. Um, but my work's gone so much more than just uh, using mindfulness in coaching. Um, and but I just stuck with the name because it's kind of, because <laughs> it's a cool name and, um, and I just kind of stuck with it. But um like all things, I guess we're always growing and evolving and changing. And um, I'm in a space right now where I want to make massive change in people's lives, mm. like really big change in people's lives. Um, 
And that's what really has driven me to move from, you know, I was doing some social work and community work for many years. Um, and that's what's really driven me into my own private practice, um, working one-on-one with people because um, there are no rules. I'm a bit of a rule breaker and I like to create my own rules. And um, I've been able to set up this coaching practice and really help people um, in like all the ways that I wish I was helped, like all the stuff that I've learned. Like my coaching programs are the best bits of everything I learned from my university degree, from like a range of different trainings I've done, from life experience, from ideas that just come in in the middle of a session, like clear as day. And I like throw them out there and clients have huge shifts. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's definitely what I have been called to do here. Um, and I love it so much. It's yeah. It inspires me, you know, absolutely deeply um, inspires me, this kind of work. Do you feel like uh, we were talking about shame before? Do you think, mm. is that quite a common conversation within your mode of work? Yeah. Yeah, um, for sure. You yeah. had this statement, man. Um, I've never heard someone say that shame and shadow work is fun, but fuck, it's powerful to free yourself from this prison. Yeah. Great quote. Yeah. Man. Shame's a really interesting one. Um, it is vibrationally the lowest vibration of emotions that we feel as humans. Um, so there's a scale that's created by Dr. David Hawkins called the scale of consciousness or the map of consciousness. Um, and that shows all the different human emotions and what they vibrate at in, I think it's in Hertz. Yeah. But don't quote me on that. Um, it is. Yeah. And, um, and shame resonates at 20 Hertz, whereas like God consciousness is a thousand. Um, and I think love is somewhere like around 600 or 500. Um, peace and joy are up there in those high vibrations. And shame is at the very, very bottom of the spectrum. Um, what I find really interesting about shame, and it's actually, there's a section in my, in my book, um, a book that I'm writing at the moment, all about shame. Um, but shame is a relatively new emotion. It's, it hasn't been around forever for humans. Um, and the reason why- You'd it, say like the last 100,000 years when we started tribalizing and- I guess so. I guess so. Um, what I understand, uh, what I see being really true about shame is that it is used or has been used for many, many generations to control people's behaviors. So, you know, when a young kid is in the shopping center and they've got their hands down their pants, what do mum and dad do? Instead of kindly- and calmly explain to them that what they're doing is inappropriate, they often shame them, okay? Mm. You know, say, get your hand, don't do that. You know, that's, that's silly. We don't do that. And they, they embarrass them because mm. when someone is shamed, they are triggered. And um, that, that, that trigger makes them realize that what they've done is bad and they try to avoid that at all costs. So shame is not only used by parents, it's also used in schooling system and education and society at large to make people um, conform or follow behavior that's desirable. Mm. How's that? Wow. Like, yeah, it's just mind-blowing for me that that's been used as a strategy for so long 
Um, yeah, and where it came from. And the other interesting one is disgust. Yeah. And disgust is similar to shame, but it was used to uh, essentially to stop people from spreading disease. So people were like shamed um, about things about body or like contact or blood or things like that um, to stop the spread of disease. Mm. So again, it has its roots in like- Medieval times potentially. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, man. Uh, dude, like, and, and I'm sure anyone who's listening to this conversation, like it, it, there's, there's resonance there mm. of like, when, especially when it comes to sexuality, mm. all of our ancestors to some greater or smaller degree have come from a religious heritage and then bring sexuality into that and mm. what the divine being in the cosmos thinks of you being naked with someone of the op- opposite sex when you're 15. And like the inquiry that I had when I was 12 about Mm. boobs, (laughs) you know, but just so much shame to to think about talking about it to your siblings, even your brother. It was just like, Mm. you didn't talk about it. Someone flashed a porno mag or something and you're like, oh yeah, but there's like, even if you had that magazine in primary school in your bag, there's this weird kind of secrecy. Mm. Like you didn't, yeah, man. But then I just remember... Like I remember mum used to call the vagina when I was young. She used to call it the Rudy, like Rudy. Yep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, that's rude. And so it's just like, you know, the genitalia of, you know, my sisters and friends and stuff. That's rude. Mm-hmm. It's rude. The vagina's rude. Yeah. Um, as I used to be a Christian minister and and the theology that I was brought up on was that the flesh was carnal. Um you know, Adam and Eve started putting clothes on or when they'd sinned, you know, and there's all this real shame imagery of them like trying to hide their bodies like under, you know, fern leaves and things. Mm. So especially for me, man, shame around my body, shame around inquiring, shame around asking questions mm. about belief systems outside my church yeah. creed. Yeah. Um, shame about even as a man like – um feeling really inept when it came to like car mechanics and construction. And yes. and I think some of that, a lot of shame, like it came through even to this year when I started building up my van, like what I didn't know about tools mm-hmm. and structural integrity, like shame because of what was told from me from my old man. He was doing the best he could, but just the way that I interpreted, fuck, I'm just going to go practice my guitar then because I'm not made for the tools. Yep. Again, masculine shame. Yep. Oh, I definitely experienced the, the same thing. <laughs> Very similar thing there. Yeah, my dad was a, motor mechanic um, and he never wanted me or my brother. So here we go. Here's a great example. He never wanted me or my brothers to actually be a motor mechanic yeah, um, or to, to, to be a tradie at all. Yeah, He wanted us to use our heads. He wanted us to go to university and he yeah. got his way. All the, all, all the boys went through and studied um, and don't work with their hands. But um, because he didn't want us to do it, he also kind of shamed um, – our ability to do that kind of work. So when we were young, he, you know, he'd say things like, oh, you know, Jake, he, he's, he's no good on the tools. So he, he, he always messes it up or that kind of thing. And, and I know that what he really wanted to do was he didn't want us to go down that road, but he used shame mm. as a control strategy so that we never did go down that road, but told us we weren't very good, which has also had its repercussions because there's a lot of man things I don't know how to do. 
Yeah. Um, the, or that Quote, I'm, unquote, man things. Yeah. 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 Um, and I'm figuring, yeah, exactly. Uh, and I'm figuring out, I'm learning how to do those um, yeah. as a, a man in my, you know, early yeah. 30s. Yeah. Um, so. And it's, it's funny because it is beautifully empowering. It's kind of like for me now, when I'm coming back to my inner child, it's really fun. Mm-hmm. Like knowing what I don't know about power source, but learning, YouTubing it, asking a mate, end of the day, you've cut a few panels, you've done a few things and it's sick. Yeah. I feel like when you can redeem those quote unquote masculine traits and just kind of take it in, like, cause like, like yourself, man, like I love fashion, mm. like, um, mm. heaps of my friends are girls. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And it's like, it's only just been in my last couple of years of coming more into consciousness that I'm like, man, like probably in a past life, I was a woman multiple times mm-hmm. and like, it's okay to like, cool hair and I don't mind like coming into my inner sexy and just embracing it. But the thought of coming from a rugby league town and talking about coming into your sexy or coming into your sacred feminine. Mm -hmm. Um, again, it's, there's so much shame. I remember holding my hand like this sometimes when I was in primary school, my mum would slap my wrist and say, don't do that, darling. You look gay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But she's not even a homophobe, but just like her conditioning and the perception of her son, who was the son of a German-Irish architect, builder, man. You know, it's just like, I don't know what it is, man. Like our conditioning's weird. Yeah. Things that we say is weird. But but when you're kind of observing that shame and, and not even judging it, but just seeing that it has been disruptive to, to soul evolution. 100%. <laughs> Mate, the, like, you know, now that we're talking about it, like shame is really what was fueling the depression that I experienced Bro. from- yeah, man. Mm. From from um, age ten mm. till age twenty, like mm. because I felt, you know, I felt too. I guess like I've always been a very feminine man mm. and um, very connected, like in this way. But it was when I started to realize that I wasn't fitting in as a as a as a man man. And I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, it was things like sports and like things that I just like wasn't as good at. And that's where I really started to feel like not good enough. Um, I got shamed um, or I experienced shame or I even posed shame upon myself for not being masculine enough. And I tried to play footy. I played in footy teams for years and I tried to be blokey and I even did horrible things to people um, trying to be this tougher masculine man. And it's actually been like a journey from, um, yeah, I guess those early, in my early 20s to now of reclaiming and being okay with uh, the very feminine man that I am. Um, it's like very common that people um, would, would ask, that, like say, he's gay, isn't he? Or people, they hear you're married. They're like, what? Um, <laughs> but, you know, I love it now. It's like, it's completely okay. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's that journey back to to finding myself that's been beautiful, but um, super painful along the way. And and I and I and I feel really sad that I um, that I tried to be someone that I wasn't for so long. And mm. I'm, I guess I'm so thankful for depression, for the black dog to uh, come and walk me home. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful, man. Shadow becoming your greatest teacher. Mm. Shadow being the greatest sage. You've always needed, wanted, yes. you know, and 
Yeah, man. I very much resonate. I remember when I was in um, a really big high school, joint high school production, like we would sell like 10,000 tickets. Like it was a huge thing called mm. Starstruck in Newcastle. I was in grade 11. I was 17, just this raging little emo kid playing bass in one of the rock bands there. Mm. Like anyone that would talk to my little sister just assumed that I was gay. Yeah. And like, and again, like shame. It's kind of like, oh, that's what people think of me. Mm-hmm. Oh my word. And uh, somehow this preconditioning and this insecurity around feminine attributes or sensitivity. Mm-hmm. And so then you hear that. So you try to block it. Then you feel like you have to like flagellate yourself and, and you know, and then put on your stubbies and, and be seen with a beer yeah. to redeem those memories <laughs> or like really mistreat a woman. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to go, yeah, I'm just going to fucking like, yeah. yeah, find a chick, you know, and just like people are going to know that I'm a man. I'm one of the boys. Yeah. You know, I yeah. felt so much shame in when I was 13 and I hadn't, I hadn't masturbated yet. And some dude at the back of the school bus was like, you boys fucking masturbating? Yeah, you look at a porn and just like, I, I was just starting to grow pubes. So I didn't know how to do it. I was so innocent, dude. Yeah. But again, like, yeah, we could, you know, like call it toxic masculinity, but just this shame thing that's only, it is becoming like a collective conscious conversation mm-hmm. now, which is yeah. so good, man. And yeah. we're calling it out. Like the internet has blessings and cursings for sure, but the sensitive man is part of the dawn of the new man, I believe. Yeah. It's a beautiful balance between both. Yeah. The masculine and feminine, the yin and the yang. Yes. You know, the yeah. spirituality, the science, all of it, the yes. opposites, just yes. the paradox. I love it, dude. Because it's it. like, I think you can also then go, yeah, well, I don't even want to be part of a brotherhood anymore. Like, I'm just going to meditate all day and just be seen with flowers. It's like, you can go to extremes with mm. any kind of tribalism. Yeah. But I think now that I'm embracing my sacred feminine, I can also embrace brotherhood like never before in a very non-toxic way. Yeah. Yeah. And I can be on a work site and I can still play rock music and I can still shred mm. in the surf if I want, you know, it's like, and listen to metal when I want and still yeah. everything has its space and place. Yeah. It all belongs. And yeah, 100%. And I just love being around friends and people that accept, you know, my wife accepts me for the person I am, the man I am. Yeah, she feels it. Oh, like even when I'm wearing like, you know, tights and a wig, like I love dress ups. Like I love just <laughs> yeah. like rocking like the most outrageous outfits. Yeah. Um, you know, and yeah, she just allows me to be me and all my friends allow me to be me. And it's just, it's just amazing. Um, yeah. But what a journey from uh, shame through depression to coming back to myself. And it sounds yeah. like you've had a very similar. Oh, dude. Very similar Once you can observe it and see how your soul has been sequestered for mm-hmm. so long. I had to go through a moment, man, where I had to start like cuddling myself more and just apologizing to my body. Yeah. Like even, like a lot of my friends looked like Spartans growing up, man. Like a lot of my best friends were like a foot taller than me. Yeah. And even that as like a masculine insecurity of just not seeming as 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 macho as a lot of my mates and just hating that I had shorter Asian legs and just things like that. Yeah. But just like really sitting with what I've been gifted yeah. in this life and just embracing it all and like yeah. my funny quirky ways of talking, my sensitivities, even embracing my insecurities mm. and just like, and knowing that I deep down really love people and mm. I, yeah, 
Mm. But um, I'm very thankful that mindfulness has has given me tools mm. and a template mm. to put language to those things. Yeah. Um, because yeah, when you taught a narrative for most of your masculine man man life of like harden up, you know, just harden up, or are you crying? Are you you crying? Man, like yeah. I'm just getting goosebumps just talking about yeah. it, man. It's yeah. still things that I'm I'm still processing. Yeah. You know, but yeah. um, yeah. I remember something my dad used to say, um, and it's actually become a chapter in my book. And it's, um, I'll give you something to cry about. Oh, and it was, yeah. <laughs> I know. Oh, I know. And it, yeah, that's like, it's like, dude. you know, you're going to stop crying or I'm going to give you something to cry about. It was the threat. Oh. Um, you know, suppress your emotions, you know. Um, and he was a beautiful father. Um, absolutely yeah. beautiful, but that was still something I remember him saying. I don't remember any experiences of it, but the words, they, you know, mm. it was definitely something that that uh, that happened, and um, yeah, really, really. Powerful. You, said you were talking about the years up to like seven, super, um, yeah, like trauma that you've experienced, conditioning from those younger years, um, mm. very powerful. How it can affect the rest of your life? Was that what you were saying about the first seven years? Yeah. So um, the, in the first seven years, we're in a brainwave state called theta brainwave. Um, and in theta brainwave, it's almost like a, hyp- it's like a hypnotic trance because everything that we experience in our life, and I've got to like pause here and also tell you about as a kids, we only see things in black or white. So we only see good or bad. There is no gray. We can't, we don't have the cognitive capacity yeah, to. The abstraction. Exactly. Mm. So um, in the first seven years, everything that we experience, um, everything that we see, hear, and experience becomes our subconscious blueprint um, and affects us for the rest of our lives. Mm. Unless we go in and change that that work. And that's the work that I do in my coaching. That's what I specialize in is helping people to actually change the subconscious structures that are unhelpful. If you've got good ones, you'll hold on to them. They're great, yeah, sure. you know. Um, but when there's unhelpful ones, that, that is what I do is to help people go in and change those. Uh, it's been it's become an area that's very fascinating for me. Mm. Um, and the, the evolutionary reason behind why do humans for the first seven years um, download their whole experience as their basic operating system for life. Why do they do that? And the reason is, is because if we were to lose our tribe or lose our family, we would have a basic operating system for everything. Thinking about as far as where, you know, even parenting techniques, the parenting techniques that you experienced when you were less than seven years old become your default parenting techniques that you use when you have children in your mid-30s. Like, it's crazy, right? Mm. Everything you experience, um, good, bad, or indifferent. But the subconscious mind is not only formed by the first seven years. The first seven years becomes the basic operating system. Mm. Um, And then repetition um, continues to form and strengthen certain subconscious programs after the age of seven. Because after the age of seven, we move into a, a different brainwave state. And we're still downloading up to about age 13. We're really still downloading a lot of things and creating like our, our blueprint, I like to call it. Um, but the other, the other ways that we are 
are programmed through repetition. So even as adult, things that we repetitively do, things that we repetitively think become our reality. Um, And also through trauma. Trauma has the ability to change the subconscious structures like that. Um, And that has another evolutionary reason because if something traumatic happens, we learn not to, how to stay away from that Mm. by creating a, a subconscious structure really quickly to keep us safe. The, the whole role of the subconscious is safety. Mm-hmm. It's our autopilot. It's when we're not paying attention to what we're doing, when we're not being mindful, when we're driving our car. You know, those days when you drive, like maybe you're driving down to Byron to check the surf and you're just like thinking about some music you're working on and you, you cruise into town. You're like, how did I even get here? Like I've pulled up at the beach. How did I even decide what beach I was going to? Because I wasn't even paying attention. And it's because the subconscious through repetition um, has a program for driving a car between Lennox and Byron. Mm. And it's just done it for you without having to think. Mm, mm, mm. But that plays out in all in all parts of our lives. Yeah. Um, and it can be really- So when it comes to relationships, your your default is what you grew up with. Yes. Unless you're observing and mindful- of those flaws. Which is so hard. Yeah. And there are some beautiful default patterns as well. Like you're saying, yes. like you could have grown up in a beautifully loving home yep. and like, I think of my mom, I think of my dad, you know, but yeah. Yeah. Like one of the reasons why I feel like my ex broke up with me was I realized now that I was falling into default patterns from mm. absorbing my parents' relationship. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And a lot of the weaknesses in that. And I, I would speak to Chrissy in certain ways. And, you know, it's just like when I can, you know, pull it apart, digress. And, but it's like, man, I feel like this inside alone, like if people could know that on a wider scale, how, how much that could transform culture. Mate. And this is <laughs> like, this is why um, I am writing this book because I want all parents, all people that work in education, all people that are just interested in psychology of humans to like really understand really clearly how this works, Mm. really understand it. And the other thing, when we're talking about relationships, there's also attachment theory that comes into play. Um, and, and that is all about the, uh, the way that our relationships with our parents or at least one parent affects our romantic and platonic relationships thereafter. Mm. Um, it's a big, it's a big uh, thing to unpack, but um, it's, yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it in clients mm. time and time again. I've seen it in friends. I've seen it in myself. Mm. Um, yeah. Do you mind um, reading for us the first chapter? Yeah. Do you want, do you want to hear the, the chapter on attachment theory? Yeah, that, that first paragraph. Yeah. So Jakey's got a book that he's writing. It's like 80% there. Yeah. It said something about introducing or was that the yeah, first one? Um, Introduction. Okay. Um, well, there's two different chapters that I've printed off as a little gift to give you to have a little look at. And one of them is called The 11 Universal Core Needs. This is an idea that just fully just like landed. This doesn't come from any textbooks. It's not any theory, you know, this just landed with me. Um, and so I'll read out a little bit from this. Okay. So remember the first seven years is a time of super learning. It's a time where a child has the best opportunity they will ever have to build a healthy foundation of positive 
subconscious programming and self-worth they will take with them out into the rest of their lives. So how exactly can you positively affect a child's subconscious psychology? And what are the best programs to install? The 11 universal core beliefs to work with are a great place to start. Now, these 11 universal core beliefs, they just fully landed and came to me. And, <laughs> and, and, and I'm going to get you, just close your eyes and, and mm. just really like drop into these when I say them. Mm. Okay. And the first one is you are loved. You are lovable. You are good. You are good enough. You are safe. You are supported. You are valued. You are capable. You are seen. You are heard. And you are accepted. Mm. So these universal core needs originally came to me as I as an idea with looking at kids, anytime they were experiencing uh, a certain behavior, we could look underneath the behavior and think what need is not being met here? Are they not feeling good enough? Are they not feeling heard? Are they not feeling valued? But there's something. And then I realized this isn't just kids. This is every single human being. Like Mm. anytime we're feeling upset emotionally about something, we can look at these 11 universal core needs and one of them or multitude of them is not being met. Did one of them really land with you? Safe. Mm. Mm. Yeah, mate. Safe, mm. Safety. Yeah, like just growing up in a household, like love my family to bits but never completely feeling safe all mm. the time mm. to really express how I was feeling, what I was, questions I was asking, and then go to school, go to high school, just feeling that real reptilian brain of trying to survive. Mm. Like if I was ever involved on the on the raw end of gossip, like it would like tear me apart, man. Mm. Like my first depression that I ever felt was when a rumor got around about me in year seven and I felt like my world, my, my, my castle was just crumbling, mm-hmm. hey, you know, so – and and I think some of that that survival, trying to survive, survive in an unsafe world, pervaded for a lot of my life, into my twenties, into uni, even as a minister, trying to survive a big bad world, mm. never mm. fully feeling safe. Yeah, yeah. And it sounds like there's potentially the like you are accepted mm. was not was another part. Yeah, for that, sure. we, that we both experienced with yeah, the with the whole sure. the whole shame yeah. around. Yeah, 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 to be accepted and you know. I'm now feeling very accepted in my personality and I, I know you are yeah. too. And it's- but do you think the core of that is obviously like a lack of, a, of self-acceptance? Like mm. I couldn't, yep. I didn't, I didn't yep. have an understanding of self, but also accepting fully me and embracing fully me yep. and fucking loving yes. me and yep. my sense of self yep. and, and saying that. <laughs> yes. I wasn't allowed to say it. Yes. Oh, you love yourself? Mate. Ego, pride. That guy's so fucking egotistical. He's a narcissist. Yeah. Yeah. Narcissism is like yeah. coupled with self-love. Yeah. Terrible, man. Yeah. I even quoted last night talking with Dan, like even Jesus said that you're to love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. 
And even Christians can't even say like, I love myself. But I'm yeah. like, mate, Jesus, your great master teacher, savior yeah. of the world, he said it. Yeah. Like how the hell are you going to love old mate who doesn't like you? <laughs> you don't like at your core love this thing, yeah. love this curvature, yeah. Yeah. you know? And mate, that is the essence of so much of the work I do. People come in, come to me and they say, you know, I really want to call in a romantic relationship. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in my thirties, I'm calling in the man of my dreams, um, you know, and, and it's been really hard for me. And when I hear anything has been hard for anyone, mm. it, it shows that there's a subconscious program that's unhelpful. Whenever things are easy for us, it shows positive subconscious programming. Um, and when I hear that, um, what we work on first is developing a relationship with yourself. Mm. Everything comes back to self. Yeah. You know, whatever, ex- whatever we're experiencing on the outside is a direct reflection of what we're experiencing on the inside. And that's the level that, that we work on first. Mm. Cause I think that's like been one of the flaws of, of religion is that we've gotten so lost in literalism and deities and which deities right, mm. which beliefs are right. But mm. really I felt like the universe gave us religion for a template to be able to access a deeper sense of self. Mm. But suddenly divinity is all out there in the cosmos, but it's not the inner yes. divinity. Yes. And we're supposed to be going into ourselves through mm. religion and, and having tools to grapple with shadow and yeah. light and those tools are supposed to help us connect with our fellow man. Mm. But we're so lost in creed, in dogma, in yes. divide, yes. in the crusades, yeah. you know, and building mega churches. But really, religion was supposed to point us to a deeper sense of self. Yeah. I completely believe that. Oh, me too. And the understanding that I am God. Yeah. You know, and 100%. That's a, that's a interesting one. Um, mm. I know that. Larissa had a chat to a friend of hers who is still very heavily involved in the church. Mm. Um, when she moved into her spirituality and 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 shared with him um, that, you know, she was starting to understand the concept of I am God. And he said, no, I don't believe that concept. I believe that there is God and there was Jesus, but I don't believe that that I that I am yeah. God. I you know, and and that's all oh, that's a that's a that's the dogma that we're talking about, right? That's that's like the, <laughs> the divide there. Yeah, but it's funny. I think unless you can really go there with that notion, like there's still, I don't know, man, like there's still like a, a bit of embodiment that you can't, mm-hmm. it still is, it's still um, duality. Yeah. yeah. That's God and that isn't, that's spiritual, that isn't. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. That's divine, that isn't. Oh, I, I love <laughs> I love this one about manifestation, you know, with people. They they love, they're like, oh, I manifested like this epic contract and like mm. this house, like the man of my dreams. And when they kicked their toe, they're like, that was bad luck. When I broke their leg, like that was bad luck. That, was, <laughs> that, that, that wasn't a divine manifestation. That was bad luck. <laughs> yeah. I love it. It's so, it's so, it's so. But when you do kick your toe and break your leg, like that's. Maybe it all belongs. Yeah, of course. And maybe that's what you needed that time because it led you to yes. deeper wrestling with like, fuck, I can't surf for six months. Maybe it's going to lead you to finally meditate. Yes. And like call your dad that you yes. hate. Yes. You know, and connect in, you know, so. Yeah, dude. Man. All the stuff I'm saying this, you know, through this period of um, of of COVID is just like all these people getting on track. It's been such a, pleasure being a coach through this time because 
Mm. I've just seen people getting on track with their purpose yeah. because this time has forced them to take pause and look at what is truly important. And a lot of people have lost work that was unaligned and they've had to get on track and it's just so beautiful to see people on track. That's what really, you know, to, to find careers that are aligned with their strengths, their gifts, their talents, mm. you know, that, that, that really makes me happy. Alignment. Do you feel like you're living in alignment right now, Jakey boy? I think it's always a, um, I think it's all, you know, it's, it just continues to move and shift. But yeah, I really do. I feel more alignment than I've ever felt before. You have a real strong glow about you at the moment. I'm not even talking like a woo-woo Byron woke man. <laughs> but you know, when you just sense like peace, you have like you have that LA thing of like drive, you're gonna move to LA. Mm. But I think it's just I think you really have found that icky guy. Mm. Mm. Because, you know, I often have this conversation with clients too, which is about um what's the word? When you when you um don't get things done, procrastination. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, clients always ask me about procrastination and um, why they procrastinate and all that kind of stuff. And I say, if you're procrastinating, what you're doing is not aligned. Mm. Like, yeah, there's some things we have to do, you know, apparently like, you know, doing things you don't like doing. And yeah, yeah do you the could, dishes. You, yeah. Maybe you, know. you procrastinate over that. They're not aligned things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and that's why you're not feeling like you're motivated to do it. And because what I'm doing in my world right now, which is, you know, I'm working as a, as a coach with my own coaching programs that have all the best bits of what I do and I'm helping yeah. people to, to, to change and I'm seeing my clients absolutely transform and I'm teaching coaching to young coaches at uni. That's, that's, that's what I do for work at the moment. And those things are so aligned with me that I'm motivated to work on a Sunday. Yeah. You know, I'm motivated to miss out on things. I'm motivated to spend money and invest in my business um, because I love it so much. And that's the same for anyone, regardless of what area they're in when, when it's aligned, you know. Yeah. Cause um, have you studied much into Ikigai? No, I haven't. Um, but I I know what the concept. I, yeah, is. the concept being, I think, something that you find purpose in mm. that can make you money, something that the world needs, and something that you're good at. I think it's those four things, and it's like yeah. the VIN connecting all of that. I've seen it with the circles. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Oh man, once I saw that, I'm like, that's why I feel great, and that's why I can do ten hour days, and that's mm-hmm. why I'm sleeping better. Mm-hmm. Like, and when I'm when I'm doing my work creating music i'm not on instagram the whole time looking at other people's lives and oh coveting what they have i'm very present with my mm. craft with my clients with the albums that i'm creating with my record label everything yeah. belongs it's all aligned and i can fully fucking slow down the time yeah i'm not looking forward after 10 weeks as a teacher looking forward to those two weeks that i have a break i'm not saying that the the friday joys or the monday blues it's like Monday, dude, is actually my favorite day of the week. Yes. It's changed. It's all switched. I'm like, reset. I really, really feel ya. And, <laughs> and, and, yeah. And I put a quote, I put like a little quote out, a little write up the other day. It was maybe a little bit polarizing. It was just about people, you know, the thank fuck it's Friday movement and stuff. And I was like, that's bullshit. I, bullshit I, I also man. believe that's a curse. Yeah. And you and me are believers in this too, but I believe I believe caffeine's bullshit as well because caffeine, yeah. caffeine, like a lot of people use it to stimulate them to do shit that they don't want to and shouldn't be doing. And it just they just like drink this thing that allows them to keep being motivated on mm. something that's outside of their dreams. 
Mm. Not that everyone does that, but um, I see a lot of people doing that. Yeah. And um, and I just think, yeah, we just don't need, we don't need that. We need more people in alignment. That's yeah. what's going to change this world. like what you do should be energizing. Yeah. It's like I need three cups so that I can do this and work for this person in an office that I don't like, hours that I hate. Yes. You know? Yes. Yeah. So good, man. And yeah. it's like- I feel like the, I, I always learned this as a Christian minister. It's kind of like the greatest sermon is your life. Mm-hmm. You can say so many good things about God and about the world and what you're going to do, but it's like people can smell authenticity. Mm. You can say how great great your your trajectory is and, and your lifestyle, but it's like something you can feel when someone is living out their truth and living from that core place of self-acceptance and mm. love. Yeah. Yeah. I always say that getting on track with your purpose is one of the most challenging things that you'll do in this life. It is by far the most rewarding. Mm. It's not, it's not always easy, right? Oh, like you got to pick the same dream again day after day. Um, but it's so rewarding. But how, Jakey boy, like within the world that you live in, like how can you get to that faster? Because I feel like there are like 50-year-olds out there that are going to listen to this and go like, there's, and 50 is young, by the way, but like, you know, I feel like I, I, I stepped into it when I was like 29 or 30 and I started to really taste it. I'm like, this is it. This is my guy. This yep. is my purpose. I'm fulfilled. I can make money and I'm good at it. Um, but my sense of purpose. Yeah. It would have been great if I could have felt it younger, but maybe it was necessary for me. I'm surrendered to my timeline if time exists, whatever. Mm. But yeah. How can you help, you know, Joe Blow Mm. to, to, to kind of access that portal faster? Yeah. I think it's actually a lot easier than we think it is. Mm. I think it could be implemented into the school system really easy, but this is what it comes down to for me personally. And this is what I, this is what I would do if I was helping young people. And I do do some coaching with some, you know, some kids at that are high school age. And it's number one about finding out what their strengths are and like helping them to really like narrow down on what are their innate strengths. Mm. Um, that can be done using a strengths test that there's a really good one created by the University of Pennsylvania. You can, um, anyone who's listening can go on to um, Authentic Happiness, Google Authentic Happiness, the VIA Strengths Measure. Um, and it's a test that helps you find out what your innate strengths are in this world. And I think when you know what your strengths are, when you know what your gifts are and you know what your talents are, and these are innate mm. Um and we can have a talk. I can give you an example about this in a moment. Um, but finding out your strengths, I think, is the first the first step mm. um, to knowing what your purpose is. And then the next thing is look at your story. What have you experienced in your life? Um, you know, for me, one of my top strengths is communication. Mm. Okay, and my story is that I struggled with depression for ten years. You know, as a young kid. Um, and it was that that motivated me to then move into this personal development space and to start helping other people because 
I healed my own depression with meditation and exercise. And because of that, I learned that I could help others and I wanted to help others. Um, So if we look at our history, what's happened in our lives, Mm. and we look at our strengths, gifts, and talents, that's already pointing us in the direction of our purpose. Mm. Um, That simply. And if you had a coach who could sit down with each kid and talk about, like, take the gifts from the traumas as well. You know, the parents splitting up, the the shame, the whatever the things that happened, because there's some gifts in there too. Um, there's some resilience in there too. And if we look at our stories um, and we look at our strengths, gifts, and talents, we're, we're 80% of the way mm. there, you know? Yeah. that That's my, that's my belief. And I'm also like coupled with that is like, I remember my transcendental meditation teacher taught me that anything that you could read from a book, you already know in your core of being, like it's mm. already there. Mm. So helping young people to tap into to, the innate access, wisdom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wisdom, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And because that's, yeah. and that's, you know, you, it, it's also nice because you're not going to get lost following a guru for the rest of your life, like mm. needing to find gems. It's mm. like, it's it's all there. It's, imp- it's so empowering. Yeah. yeah. Like you don't even, like apps are great, books are great. I listen to so many podcasts. I listen to, to more of that media than most of my mates, but- yeah. Like deep down, I still know that it's it's all in here. Mm. Like put your hand on your heart chakra. Mm. And that's why I think meditation is a tool that is just so valuable because it, mm. it, it really increases that, that listening to mm. your heart and creating spaciousness mm. to be able to access yeah. more of that innate gold. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Um, you had this quote, man. If it's frustration, feel it. If it's sadness, feel it. If it's anger, feel it. If it's anxiety, feel it. Whatever is showing up, allow yourself to feel it. Yeah. So a really big revelation in my life, in my coaching practice um, was that it's the energy of suppressed emotions mm. and, and suppressed emotions are emotions that we push down. So there's repression and there's suppression. Repression is when we unconsciously push it down. So that's what, ha- that's what kids do when mm. it's, and it's what we do when things are very overwhelming and suppression is where we consciously push it down, where we distract ourselves with Netflix, where we grab our phone when we're feeling emotional and start scrolling. Um, it's where we, yeah, we, we actually choose to mm. push it down. And what I've learned and really embodied this learning is that if we don't feel it, we don't heal it. Mm. If we push any of those emotions down and, and they, we don't allow them to run their normal natural course through our body, we kind of store them in this big sack that we hold over our shoulder and it weighs us down. Mm. Um, and this amazing book, again, Dr. David Hawkins, um, his book uh, called Letting Go was, and again, I highly recommend this book to people, but it comes with a warning because this book uh, you'll journey as you read this book <laughs> and some shit's going to come up in your life so that you can test this out in your real life. Um, but essentially, this book just changed everything that I understood about emotions and and how to help people with strong feelings and emotions. Mm. Um, and, and the real process is, is, is 
the process of using our triggers, okay, to guide our healing in life. And this is something that I teach everyone that that does coaching with me. And so um, when I, I always use this example, you're in, you're in a supermarket one day and you're, you're walking down the aisle. There's a guy who you used to go to school with many years back who ignores you. Now, you leave the supermarket, you're thinking about it at the checkout, you leave the supermarket, you're in your car, you're thinking about it. You find that like half an hour later, you can just keep thinking about it and you're like, why do I even care that old mate Joe from primary school ignored me? The heart is still beating, the throat's feeling tight. You're like, I'm overreacting. This is stupid. Have you had this experience? Mm, 100%. Yep. And what is happening here is there's, you've been triggered and Mm. we don't, we get triggered in the present to show us that there's something from the past that we're ready to heal. Whoa. <laughs> okay. But many of us don't have the tools. They don't, we don't know how, how to heal. We don't know how to process that trigger. We just distract. We push it down. So I'm going to pause that bit and explain. The reason why we push it down is because we have been programmed and we've been taught by our parents and society and the schooling system to push things down. Mm. Young kids who cry, parents or grandparents often rattle toys in front of their face. They teach them distraction at age three, you know, like because they don't want to feel the crying and they don't know what to do. So they rattle the toys. They teach them how do you suppress? Like like it's best to push your emotions down. And then there's the boys don't cry. And then there's like all the other programming that happens around pushing emotions down. Um, And that's where this this mechanism begins for us Mm. where we learn that it's not okay to feel our emotions. It's such an amazing experience teaching adults through the process of coaching how to do the opposite of that. When When I teach someone how to do this process, I actually get them to invite the trigger up. So I'm like, remember what it was like when you're in the supermarket. Allow yourself to feel it. You know, on a scale of one to 10, how's it feeling right now? And they're like a nine. I'm like, allow yourself to dial it up to a 10. They're like, I don't want to. I'm like, do it. Like bring the anxiety and the frustration and the what's below that. It's this like thing of being ignored. I was ignored when I was, you know, once we deal with the, the, the surface level, we then go back and look at what other times in your life have been big traumatic experiences where the same emotional paradigms played out. So say mm. it's being ignored. There was this time I was ignored when I was 12 um, this is what happened. There was this time at eight. I was actually ignored. Like even when I was a young child, my parents actually ignored me because I had two older siblings. Um, you know, and it, there's, there's a deep, deep, um, sense of pain that exists so much earlier in life than the initial trigger that comes up for us. And that's what I teach people is work on the surface level and then journey back and heal it all the way back to the root. And once we heal the root, next time we're in a supermarket and we get distracted by, uh, distracted, when we, when we get um, ignored, Freudian slip, when we get ignored by um, someone that we went to school with, we're not going to be triggered. Yeah. The heart's not going to beat, the throat's not going to get tight, the stomach's not going to feel like it's churning because we've actually healed it at its core. Mm. And so coming back to that supermarket, we see old mate from primary school, and he ignores you and you observe yeah. that feeling, you kind of giggle about it, 
little yeah. smile of the Buddha. Yeah. You're a porous rock baby. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> It, yeah. it doesn't. It doesn't get the fight or flight system active. You yeah. know, it doesn't send that chemical stew of stress hormones. Not narrativizing about it. Exactly. Yeah, transcending, bro. Yeah. Um, so that's another Feel. tool. You know, that's yeah. a tool because I teach people how to do that so that they can do it themselves. Yeah. And if anyone wants to learn this tool, I have an online program that is free mm. that you can do can like jump on my Insta, go into the bio and it's called Control-Alt-Delete. And you can go and you can learn to do this for free because I think this tool is so important mm. and I wish I learned it when I was a lot younger. And I was able, yeah. you know, now I, I allow my triggers to guide what personal and spiritual development work I do. Because when and, and Larissa is in the exact same boat, you know, when we're mm. triggered, we talk about triggers. It's like dinner table conversation for us. And um, shadow what, work. Yeah. And what was behind it. And like it was related to this experience with my mom and this time and this. And we like, that's, that's, that's the stuff that we eat for breakfast. I love it. Triggy conversations just so normalized. Yeah. No repression, suppression. Because, mm. yeah, man, you have a chat about it, especially with a soulmate or a best friend. And mm. again, you end up kind of giggling and, and learning so much insight as well. Mm. Oh, so good. Um, one more thing that you quoted, because um, this really ties in well, you quoted um, Mr. Marley oh. with that statement that he penned, emancipate yourself from mental slavery. Mm. None but ourselves can free our minds. Yeah. The gravity of that, man. That's man. like some meta shit. I right know, there. I know. I always hear it in his voice as well. Yeah. <laughs> Emancipate yourself from mental slavery. Which track was it? Uh, Redemption Song. Oh, that's Redemption Song. I love that track. I, yeah. I, I never, until I saw it, yeah. quoted. I didn't, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a powerful one. And it's, for the, I mean, for me, it's really about taking ownership, you know? You, you just like even though a lot of things were out of your control, especially the stuff that happened early in your life, mm. you didn't per se manifest, you know, challenging childhood experiences, but you have the complete power to change. Mm. Um, it is, you know, that the study of neuroscience and epigenetics shows that we can change all subconscious structures. It's Whoa. completely possible for us to change anything that we learn. That's anything that's so holding us back. Yeah. 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 Um, it's good, man. So find someone who can help you and do that. Yeah. You know? I yeah. want to bring up a situation right Please. now. I want to get some, you know, free professional feedback right now. I had an experience when I was like, I want to say two or three. Mm. Um, I was a toddler and I was um, crying like a demoniac. I was just like, you know, just really loud, wailing. Mm. My dad was supposed to be taking care of me. And to sequester the crying, he put a pillow on my face. Mm. He's just like, oh, this will quiet him, him, um, him up a little bit. So a little baby put a pillow on his face. And so I stopped crying, but I also stopped breathing. Mm. And I went purple, apparently. My, my auntie was in the house. She's a nurse, thank mm. God. She saved my life, man. She, she came up, she resuscitated me. Everyone was freaking out. Obviously, my dad felt a lot of shame, and I think mm. he probably does feel a lot of shame even to this day. And mm. obviously, he never he never wished um, unhealth upon me, but it just happened, you know. We all stuff mm. up, but I feel like that moment really marked 
like a, an energy between my dad and I for like mm. the next like maybe 10 years even of like my fearfulness that I had towards my dad, which was something that my siblings didn't have. Yeah. Like I'd have nightmares of my dad, man, just like him and like this, this monstrous kind of figure and, you know, when he would approach me or like rebuke me, I used to take it so personally and yeah. like there was so much shame, fear, contempt around it. But I feel like from the little chats that I've had with certain psychs, like it, it, it does seem like though that early experience really did impact mm. my relationship tremendously. Your relationship with your father or yeah. your relationship yeah. with friends and romantically? Mate, I, I'm sure those things as well, but just like feeling that unsettling nature of a really strong masculine figure, yeah. you know, and just this, yeah, this weird complexity. But yeah, like, mm. but to know as well within that, that, you know, I can, I can transcend and those negative neurological pathways can be altered and- yes and mutate in a beautiful way and evolve and yeah, yeah so without a doubt um it's completely possible for anyone to change any mm. programs and experiences and although we cannot change that experience that you had and the mm. memories yeah and we also can't change the stories because i don't know how much memory you have but you have a lot of story or narrative from what people have told you which has created a i call it like an album cover of what that experience was um, yeah. in your life, we can't change much of that. What we can do is we can take away the emotional charge so that the fight or flight system in your body, the heart, the throat, the stomach, whatever it is for you, doesn't, um, doesn't play out in the same way that it mm. does. I mean, does even talking about that bring some, um, bring some emotion up for you? Yeah, or bring- totally. Yeah. Like I'm definitely way more at flow with it now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it feels, it still feels heavy. Yeah. Yeah. Like I don't feel anything towards my dad, but just yeah. like these feelings and how that kind of potentially informed more interactions throughout the next 10 years yes. and, and longer. And yes. so that's where more of the pain comes from yeah. is like, oh man, that rejection, that neglect, yeah. Yeah. that aggression, yeah. that active, yeah, that active negativity, you know? Yeah. But, um, mate, I, thanks for sharing that. That's, that's courageous. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's real. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm really glad that I printed off this, that I had this, <laughs> yeah, I had okay. this, um, I had this download that I needed to print off this particular chapter of the book and bring it for you. Mm. Um, and I did. And, um, it was this attachment theory bit and um mm. and I didn't know why, but now I understand completely why because wow. it's that story you just shared. Um and so I'll leave that for you to read in, yeah, your, in, dude, in your own time. time. Yeah. Meditate um, on it. Yeah. Can you um pull apart a little bit just real quickly? Attachment theory, like it's it's a dense topic, but for those that might have heard of it but don't really haven't really delved. Yeah. How to explain the it? best way for me to explain it is to read a, a super brief part, which is an which is actually an example of um it's a, it's a, I made the example up, but it's an example of two parents and their four kids. And because there's four different styles of attachment. Um, and so, um, if we got time, yeah. um, yeah, um, I will, I'll read this little section out and I'll give, you know, yeah, it'll definitely bring some stuff, okay. some, some thoughts to mind for, for you and many of the readers. So attachment theory, um, essentially something that was created, I think in the, I think in the seventies, 
um, by John Bowlby and M- Mary Ainsworth. And it's ser- it ex- essentially explains that a strong emotional and physical bond to at least one caregiver in the first seven years is absolutely critical for our development of healthy relationships, mm. romantic, platonic, um, professional relationships. So I will, um, I'll read a, a little um, section here, which gives a real life. It's not a real life. It's just an example I made up that explains the four different types of attachments. Um, so, there are four different types of attachment. The first type is secure attachment and the other three are insecure attachments. So secure attachment is the one that we want and the one that we aim for. Mm. If a client came to me with insecure attachment, I would support them to create a more secure attachment. Okay. Um, so the following example will explain the four types and how they come about in one's life. So Greg and his partner, Wendy have four healthy, happy children. They're lovely parents who give love, support, and encouragement to all their kids. This includes eye contact, physical touch, clear communication, communication, and continual love and care. One day, Greg develops an incurable illness, and within the next, next six months, he sadly passes away. For Wendy, life becomes very challenging. She is grief-stricken and is becoming increasingly worried about finances and parenting her four kids. She doesn't have supportive family and is finding it hard to work full-time and care for her children. The first child, Roxy, is seven years old. Her subconscious mind is well-developed. She has a program of secure attachment as she received many years of security, love, and support from both parents. This new change in circumstances doesn't affect Roxy too much. She's resilient and able to change the new ways of life fairly well. Life isn't always easy for Roxy. However, she is resilient at the core. And due to her secure attachment and positive subconscious programs, she grows up confident, trusting, and builds strong self-worth. She excels in her career. She's able to make strong bonds, both platonic and romantic, and goes on to have a good life, marry, and have children of her own. Mm. Finn is four still developing many subconscious structures. And the first years of his life were, um, were very secure in nature, but now he's having a challenging time coping with the lack of attention and support he's receiving from his mum. Finn views his mother's behavior as unpredictable. He is anxious about their relationship and feels unsure about her love. As a result, he becomes increasingly clingy and causes Wendy further frustration. When is, uh, Finn is not getting the attention he desperately desires and begins to raise his voice and try other types of behaviors to get his mum's attention. When this does succeed, he, acts, uh, he then acts unpredictable and this pattern continues well into his adulthood. He experiences many challenges within his relationships. His friends see him as moody and up and down. Finn doesn't have very high self-worth and when he does attract romantic partners, he finds himself unpredictable or he finds himself with unpredictable partners. Mm. Finn's style is called anxious ambivalent. Three-year-old Alex spends a majority of the time with his grandparents who love him but are very strict in their approach to caregiving. If Alex shows emotions or behavior that they feel are too much, they raise their voices, threaten him with a smack or send him to his bedroom as punishment. Alex learns that to avoid fear 
or the fight or flight response, he has to avoid showing his full emotions. At school, he tries to be very well behaved and puts a lot of pressure on himself to avoid making mistakes, getting in trouble and ultimately showing his emotions. He does his best to control his emotions, but it's a task that is challenging for a young person, which gets him down. He has low self-concept and self-trust. He goes on to have problems in his relationships and find it very hard to feel safe and authentic. Alex's attachment style is anxious avoidant. And then lastly, Michelle, who's the youngest child, only 18th months, months old. She spends her days at a nursery. The stuff that the staff there are poorly trained, overworked, and under-resourced. All the staff are very stressed, and on some occasions, their behavior could be described as negligent and abusive. Michelle learns to fear the very people that should be there to support and care for her. Her experiences completely disorganize her understanding of love and safety. Subconscious programs begin to take form that are, that are congruent experiences that the world is unsafe and unfriendly, where random things occur and no one can be trusted. She learns that she is unworthy and unlovable and has a very, self, uh, very low uh, and poor self-concept. She has low self-trust and low trust in the universe. As she grows up, she struggles with relationships with her romantic relationships and her relationship with herself. Michelle's attachment style is anxious, disorganized. Mm-hmm. So that example essentially explains the four different styles of attachment that can go into affect someone's relationships within their lives um, unless they work on healing mm. um, Mm. Yeah, all of us find ourselves in some of those different templates and mm-hmm. forms. Yes. Yeah, it's very But fluid. it's a very, very few in the world, a very small percentage are active in, that, in a healing modality that yeah. could work. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Um, so I guess I hope if one of those styles of attachment when you were listening really hits home or lands for you, do a little bit more research. Mm. See who can help you. Start working on those things because if you're finding it hard and struggling in romantic relationships, platonic relationships, professional relationships, there's probably some work to do there, Mm. Um, some healing to do, mother-father stuff um, that's going to really help move your life forward. Um, And good healthy relationship just makes us so happy, doesn't it? Mm. Bro, and you're a gifted writer. It's great. I think you're making these really deep concepts really accessible and palpable. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much. It's good. It's except like, you know, to the peasant out there, to myself, it's just kind of like it's, I'm very, um, very fresh to like the world of psycho, anything psychotherapy or Mm. neuroscience. Mm. So, um, yeah, man, it's good. I don't feel belittled and too small coming into it, you know? Great. I wanted to ask you just before we finish um, about, uh, firstly, your book, when do you plan on releasing it? Hopefully um, in early 2020. And what's Um, the name of it again? Early 21. Sorry, yep, early 2021. (laughs) Um, It's called Not Good Enough, Mm. um, A Self-Worth Epidemic. Woo, great title, great sub. Yeah. Um, I really, I had in my notes, the power of music and you're a DJ. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Another yeah. life. It's great, yeah. but I'm sure 
everything that you're gleaning from exploring um, acceptance therapy and and the psych world and coaching informs mm. how you express yourself in the arts and vice versa. Like it's all one beautiful symbiotic mm. dance, I'm sure. Mm. Mate, music has been a part of my life from the earliest days. You know, my earliest memory is uh, is attached to music and it's like that that song positive uh, attachment oh yeah <laughs> yeah it's that like i will walk 500 oh, dude, miles and like track. dancing to that like in the yeah. sunshine it's like a three-year-old you know music even that track what's the band called that scottish That's, band i can't i can't remember yeah but there's something primal about yeah. that beat and yeah. just like yeah it's yeah feel it the proclaimers proclaimers yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just to be that man yes. that walked a thousand um, miles. Yes. Dude, even now, like I get goosebumps just hearing those lyrics, like to yeah. write that kind of song about a woman. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I would do for you. Yeah. You know, like beautiful. Great. Yeah. Continue. So good. Yeah. I guess like, yeah, music started for, you know, started there with me and like taking my mum and dad's CDs and listening to them in the car, the Elton John, like just going hard on Elton, going hard yeah. on REM, going hard on um, all types of meditation and spiritual music. Name. Oh, yeah, yeah. Man. Some of the greats you just mentioned. Yeah. Um, and What's your favourite Elton track? Oh, this is, a hard, this is a hard one. Like I always just answer that it's – I know my dad's was um, Benny and the Jets. Uh, and mum always like says like that song doesn't have any like deep meaning like always like has a like a laugh about it mine has probably got to be oh man oh they're all so good for different reasons maybe like maybe go back to Benny and the Jets what is the deeper meaning of that I always knew that's something more existential I don't know um kid hold yourself together and then isn't it? Isn't Benny just someone who's kind of like Benny the Jets? Like he's lost somewhere in the cosmos. Like he's a deep thinker. That's I the essence. I I want to research. I th- yeah, but I think it's it's definitely a track where there's layers. Oh yeah, yeah. Elton Man, the King. Oh, oh absolutely, Dude. absolutely. Yeah, that. But you you make a lot of house music. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't create or produce house music, but mm. um, it is an area that I yeah I I, I really I fell in love with house music when I was a naughty teenager going clubbing in Sydney um, and and moving through the electro movement. Um, yeah. We're a similar age, yeah? 32. Yeah, cool. Yeah. I'm, you're 33? Yeah, I'm 33 this year, so 88 born. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, you're younger. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I went through the whole electro scene, you know, and yeah. uh, and that's that started. But that music fell away because it didn't have much depth to it. But yeah. um, I really fell back in love with house music when I went to my first Burning Man um, wow. over in the US, I don't know how many years ago, six, seven, eight years ago now. Um, and, um, I, have found that in the mornings at Burning Man, because it's a 24 hour party, this very particular style of uh, house music was played and it's, um, it's lower tempo. It's kind of between maybe let's say between 116 and 120 BPM. It is really ethereal. Um, it has big breakdowns of strings. It has like beautiful female vocals. It has like mm. Indian and like, you know, like even Arabic vocals. Like yeah. that's, that's real, like not kosher to have like Arabic singing over mm. music. Um, and Oh, it just resonated so deep with me this this style of this style of music, and um, 
I started collecting it since my first burn and it's become a little bit more popular still in the underground scene, but this is the music that I absolutely love and it's made for sunrises and sunsets with big, mm. big breakdowns um, and then it goes back to the floor to the floor and, you know, getting getting jiggy and all that kind of stuff. Mm. So. Yeah, what was the artist that you sent me? I still need to yeah, dive. Yeah, what was it? Um, it was, I can't remember off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, um, man, like I had this really transcendental experience when I was uh, at Newkind. Have you heard of Newkind Festival? It's in I Tasmania. Um, I have heard of it actually. I yeah, have heard of it. Yep. It's from yep. by a guy called Irfan. He's a legend. But um. I'd gone through a lot of like purging and realization, like straight after my like breakup with my fiance at the time. Mm. And it was a really low point, but I went to New Kind and I was in this healing, you know, space, this paradigm. It was, it was good. But um, after this release through this like Aboriginal ceremony and this labyrinth that mm. I kind of meditated through, um, I found myself at like a conscious dance party yes. at New Kind. There was like probably 200 people just on this dance floor. Um, and it was beautiful, like tribal house. Mm, mm. It was like the purest, like house music I'd ever heard. Probably similar this BPM, it, about man. 116. This is probably it. And we had all these percussion instruments and yes. we were just banging cowbells and things. And my um, surrogate uncle, Uncle Pete Cummings, he was, he's Ryex's dad. Okay. Legend. But he was there with his cowbell, almost like as a shaman. And that dance floor, man, I'd never experienced such a healing dance floor that was so non-sexual in a way. Sensual, but I wouldn't call it sexual. And there wasn't, it was like we were bypassing ego. Yes. Yes. Like it was therapy, That's it. This is what you're talking about. And this is like, I think this really comes from burn culture, but this Mm. is about like dancing for you. You know, mm. and this is about mm. like really getting embodied in these in these movements, moving however you want, not moving to look sexy, not moving yeah. to look cool, not crowded dance floor. We're talking like having space to really throw your arms around and, you know, yeah. just move. In your body, mm. contortive. Yes. Bit androgynous, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dude. Um, oh, man. I Yeah, I can't wait to talk music later on tonight. Um, as we go out for our Indian bro, um, is there anything else you just want to leave the listenership with? I'm sure this conversation as we wrap up, it's resonated with a lot of humans, Mm. but, um, as we inhale love, exhale awareness and closing the day, what's a thought you want to leave us with Mm. Jakey boy? I guess the, you know, everything that all my clients share something in common. And I think we all share this in common. We often want to be somewhere that we are not at the moment. You know, we have this place Mm. that we want to be. We're striving for goals or we're striving for growth. And I really believe that the only thing in the way between us and where we want to be is a change in vibration. I believe that the thing that we want is usually of a higher vibration than we are at at the time. So whenever you are trying to change your outer world, whenever you're trying to move towards goals, whether they be to call in the partner of your dreams, to launch a business, you know, whether these are little goals or big goals, health goals, whatever they are, you know, you can put the effort in as much as you like in the physical world, but 
things will flow a lot easier if you do the inner work. Mm. And so what I'm saying is do the inner work, do the work on yourself, do the work on the stuff that's been holding you back, do the shadow work, talk about shame, like actually Mm. do the work that is underneath because that's the stuff that keeps our vibration low. And this is the stuff that has the ability to raise our vibration, to be in alignment with what we're calling in. And when we're in alignment with it, it's much easier for us to co-create it with the universe and for it to it to come manifest in our world. Um, I guess that's my advice. Do the inner work. Whenever you're blocked or stuck, whenever you're not where you want to be, mm-hmm. like go to a course, read a book, find a coach, find a therapist, find a kinesiologist, um, like do some plant medicine, whatever. Like do what your heart's calling you to do, but do some inner work because there's only – you can only do so much mm. in, the, in the physical 3D world. Sometimes it's time to go deeper. That's what I've experienced to be the most profound shifts have occurred in my life after doing the inner work. Mm. Jake, I receive it, brother. It's been so good growing it out and I've just learned so much. I'm so glad that this hectic, frothy hang was recorded. <laughs> Me too, dude. Our first date, and um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is this is absolutely. Fantastic. And that's one of the things I love about Byron Bay is that it's like this is one interaction, but like it's being times by fifty and a hundred, like with brothers and sisters that I'm finding that are on the same path. Yeah. And there's so much grace in it. There's so much empowering. It's not me against you. I'm like frothing for you in your book, and I want it to to become a New York Times best bestseller. You know, like. Like my ego, like I felt like when I lived in like a city mindset, I was so competitive, man. We both came from Sydney Mm. and because it is so business centric and so corporate, like you are on this conveyor belt Mm. and I felt like I was very competitive against my friend's bands, not wanting them to get, you know, there's there's this ego that's constantly talking, but I feel like coming up here in a bungee line country, my heart's a lot softer and I just honestly want my family to thrive. Yeah, dude. And their thriving is my thriving. Yes. Like, because we're all one ecology. Yeah. Yeah. Bro, love you, man. Love you, Honor so you. So much. Bless bro. you, bro. And yeah. Um, yeah, pumped. Can't wait to get this chat out there. Thanks so much for having me on. You are a absolutely amazing human and such an amazing music producer. Like, the music that I've been hearing and I've been getting the sneak peeks, <laughs> it's a masterpiece, mate. Like, you are so special. Yeah. So oh. you keep following your like dreams and just keep doing it, mate, because oh. you're, you're going to kill it. You're already killing it in this world. But yeah. Um, yeah, I'm so grateful to be on here and to chat to you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, Jakey. Receive it, man. Thank you. Welcome. Awesome, bro. Yeah. Thank you for listening Yo. to the Beginning of Us podcast. This podcast is created on Bundjalung land, just south of Byron Bay. We pay our respects to the original custodians of this land. If this episode has connected with you, please leave a comment, share the episode on your Instagram stories, and subscribe to this podcast. We'd love to hear from you. The Beginning of Us is produced by Billy Otto. Theme music is by Billy Otto and Khaled Tusker. Technical direction by Eliash Perez. Find out all about Billy's many mindful projects and music by Instagram at, at Billy Otto. Blessings to you and namaste.